scripture passage this morning is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, preaching through verses 4 through 9, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 because I can, and I care about all of you. And we began our series last week, um, and I felt like it would be fitting, uh, since it was a holiday weekend, to read those verses again. Uh, so preaching through 4 through 9, reading 1 through 9, the passage will be up here on the screen if you have a Bible we would encourage you to pull that out and follow along with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. If you are able to stand, please stand for the reading of God's word. First Corinthians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is... The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we do give you thanks. As Paul is in the mood of thanksgiving, we give you thanks for this passage and the ways in which I believe it will um, uh, wake us up a little bit in a good way this morning, in a very encouraging way, and challenge us. And we, we just ask for all of that. Every time we engage your word, we, we know we need help, and we know, Lord, that it would benefit us so much to, to gain every ounce possible uh, in the hearing of this text this morning. And so we ask for that. We know we need the Holy Spirit's help. Uh, and again, we pray that we would leave here changed people, more uh, grateful, more encouraged, more aware of your presence. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We live in a very strange moment in which we regularly lament all of the divisiveness and the polarization that's going on around us, without having much to offer, unfortunately, on how to address this problem, and quite possibly contributing directly to this divisiveness ourselves more often than we like to believe. When solutions are proposed, they tend to be a little bit simplistic. You know, well, if we, if we would just all get off of Twitter, you know, or they tend to be a little bit cheeky, you know, like resolutions of simply being done with it all and living off the grid because, of course, you're not the problem. Those, those other people are. Recently, I read an article about an ex-professional golfer buying about 200-plus acres on the Costa Rican coast to establish a personal wellness retreat, and now he lives there permanently basically by himself. This is a really expensive way to do that, but you get the point. You can't be sideways with fellow human beings if it's just you and your yoga mat 
and the ocean. And perhaps if we're being honest with ourselves, we know some people that we would like to encourage to maybe live off of the grid, right? You know, they tell us, you know, I'm thinking about disconnecting, I'm going to move to eastern Oregon. We're like, you know what, that is a, that is a great, that's a great idea. I was thinking, I don't know if anyone else, I, are physicists mad that the word polarization is now basically a sociological term? I kind of hope so, because if they are, then it means that we are polarized concerning polarization. So, <coughs> next week, we'll look more at the root of divisiveness and polarization, especially in the life of the church and what to do about it. This week, we're looking at that a little bit, although this morning we're mainly taking a look at what it looks like to persevere with joyfulness when we encounter divisiveness and polarization, especially in the life of the church, instead of becoming cynical and bitter and prideful. A solution, as you'll see, that is more robust and more realistic than a mass social media exit or purchasing a wellness retreat. And as it turns out, what we're talking about this morning has a lot to do with gratitude and thanksgiving. So two exhortations accordingly. Number one, let's give thanks for the people that God gives us. And then number two, let's give thanks for the gifts that God gives us. And we'll start with that first exhortation. Let's give thanks for the people that God gives us. Recall from last week that 1 Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, which he helped start and therefore cared about very deeply. You re really can't care more about a people than Paul cares about these believers in Corinth. Unfortunately, though, just a couple of years after Paul started this church, the church was dealing with all sorts of problems. Deep divisions, factions, various kinds of immorality, theological confusion about spiritual gifts and other matters. Thus, this particular letter from the Apostle Paul. At the time, this is probably around 53 AD, Paul was living and ministering in Ephesus, and so he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth to encourage the Corinthians spiritually and to remind them of the gospel and of the gospel's power, to call out their various divisions as well as their moral and ethical shortcomings, and then to clarify some theological matters. And notice it is therefore a very good idea to avoid romanticizing the early church, a bit of a temptation in our day, in Christian circles, in Christian literature, in conferences in which we love talking about, you know, doing fill-in-the-blank like the early church. Solving all of our modern church problems can't just mean going back to the way the early church did things because they had major problems of their own, problems that developed rapidly and were clearly more about heart issues in particular structures or strategies. How did Paul engage this very troubled church in a way that equipped him to speak some truth into their lives without being dragged into the mud with them? In large part by adopting an attitude of gratitude. 
an attitude that, as you can see in verse 4, inspired him to give thanks to God for the Corinthian believers, the same people who were causing all of the ruckus, which means that Paul is communing with the Lord big time because thanksgiving is just, it's not going to be your default mode when your spiritual children are making a huge mess of the house. Imagine going to your kids after they ransack the living room and saying something to them like, first of all, I just want to give thanks to God for all of you. No one has that kind of patience on their own. No one has that kind of perspective on their own. So if you are saying something like that, clearly the Lord has done a really great work in you. The Holy Spirit is flowing through you like the Hogtown Creek after an afternoon storm, right? So broadly speaking, we could say that persevering with joyfulness in divisive and polarized times has to do with abiding in Jesus, which, truth be told, is pretty much always the answer. You can always say abiding with Jesus as a response to a lot of problems, and that will get you very far. But as someone filled with the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ, Paul gives thanks to God for the Corinthian believers because he can see the grace of God at work in them, verse 4, in three ways. Number one, in their speech, verse 5 in their knowledge, and then number three, in their spiritual giftedness. Verse seven, speech, knowledge, spiritual giftedness. Speech here appears to be the the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Knowledge is the spiritual gift Paul refers to. It would appear in 1 Corinthians 12.8 when he lists the utterance or the word of knowledge. And the phrase, not lacking in any gift, indicates, get how encouraging this is, church, that Paul can see all sorts of spiritual gifts at work among the Corinthians in addition to the two already specified. The full complement of the Holy Spirit's gift-giving power and presence is on display in their lives. So Paul gives thanks to God for his grace, clearly given to them in Christ Jesus and at work in them. Grace anchored to the five-word gospel summary that Paul will eventually give in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins. Grace still at work in their lives through the powerful presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's it's hard to be super mad and cynical and bitter, possibly inclined to just give up on the body of Christ when, by God's grace, we discipline ourselves to be thankful to God for the people he's put around us and the household of God. And it is hard to be super mad when we're sensitive to evidence of the Holy Spirit's work and power among those that God has put around us in the household of God. Church, when we take a look at the body of Christ, both broadly and locally, what do you see? 
What do you see? Do we see the grace of God at work in imperfect people? Do we see evidence of the Holy Spirit's power and presence? Certainly in some seasons there might be spiritual lulls and valleys affecting the people of God. In other words, in some seasons there might not be as much to see. And this is why the Psalms and to some degree the prophets speak of revival within God's own people. But I got to I got to level with you. Very often we don't see the grace of God at work in imperfect people because we're not looking for it or because we straight up don't want to see it. Because let's face it, it is a lot easier to be tribal and therefore dismissive of people we don't agree with or don't like when we can simply condemn them as being spiritually fake or inauthentic or hypocritical or whatever. A lot easier to draw lines when we're doing that kind of thing. The problem with this sort of black and white thinking, though it might be really pragmatic, is church, it's very often wrong. More often than we might be inclined or even like to think, someone and the life of the church that you find rather difficult to deal with or has the, the wrong theological view of the sacraments or the spiritual gifts or maybe voted for the, the wrong candidate, more often than we like to think, the grace of God has been and continues to be at work in those people if we'd only see it. And then here's the thing, when we do see it, and when the grace of God has also been at work in us, those realities, they intersect with one another to catalyze gratitude and thanksgiving for the people God has placed around us, which in turn fuels genuine joyfulness, even in relationally fraught and complicated seasons. Joyfulness often being the very thing that God uses to pull his people through and even out of relational discord and disunity. In fact, I am not exaggerating when I say that when you hear testimonies from people concerning relational reconciliation and the tearing down of these factional walls, it usually has something to do with God giving them a fresh and far more godly view of the people that God has put around. So my question for us as a church family this morning and this week is, who do we need to receive today? Who do we need to, to re-examine in this, in this godly light? What evidence of, of God's grace might we be overlooking, intentionally or not, in the lives of fellow Jesus followers that we're kind of bummed out with right now? Jesus followers in our own church family. Jesus followers on social media that we, for whatever reason, keep reading their tweets on Twitter, even though we don't like them, but we keep reading them again and again and again. Jesus followers who maybe write editorials in the newspaper that we think are misguided. Who do we need to, to re-see? 
And then when we re-see them, give thanks, rejoice, and see what that does for your soul. And see how that might begin to mend some of the broken fences in our lives and help us find some relief from all of the pervasive divisiveness and polarization. I don't think most people are enjoying all that much. How would our interactions with fellow believers change if, before every interaction, especially difficult interactions, we gave thanks to God for them? How would this change the feel of Christian relationships locally and broadly? Answer, you know, it would change things dramatically. This week I was reading some news about the Burning Man gathering. This is a stretchy metaphor. Let me just tell you right now. You kind of have to <laughs> you have to work with me. We aim to please here at City Church, so sometimes we take risks. This week I was reading some news about the Burning Man gathering, an annual event in which now approximately 87,000 people camp out in a deserty playa near Reno, Nevada. And people attend for all sorts of reasons. Some of you may have attended in the past. And they're searching for meaning. They're searching for community, for rest. In some cases, unbridled self-expression and hedonism. There's a lot of reasons why people come to Burning Man. And then you burn a man at the end. Not a man-man, but a, a wooden one. Near the end of this year's gathering, which just wrapped up, they had some storms roll through that dropped about a half inch or so of rain on the playa, which, if you know anything about playas, turned the whole area into this muddy soup bowl. So no one could leave, even though the thing was over. Nobody could leave until the playa dried up, at least by vehicle. Everybody was stuck until the ground dried. The only way to leave was to hike your way out of it. And even that was difficult. And the trick was apparently to take a bunch of bags or or to make your own bags and then wrap them really tightly around your shoes, and then you could try to trek towards relief and, and safety. So wait for it now. This, I told you, it's stretchy. Thanksgiving is kind of like those bags. <laughs> it helps right your spirits and possibly gives you and those around you a way out of relational bogs the muddy playa of division and disunity. And mind you, I am sure some serious uh, relational bogs got going at Burning Man as the food and the booze and all of that ran out. I can hardly imagine. Quick aside, and I think this is actually really important, the way that Paul encourages and celebrates the Corinthian believers is very instructive. It's not flattery. Right? He's not saying these sort of these over-the-top things about the Corinthians in order to manipulate them or, or gain something from them personally. The book of Proverbs warns very strongly against flattery. Daniel also warned against it kind of indirectly. We saw that this summer. It's not false praise. He's not forcing himself to say nice things just because he's supposed to. These are genuine comments rooted in love. And he's not puffing them up with a bunch of, you know, ridiculous superlatives. You don't hear him saying things like, you, you guys, you are the best church ever. He's not saying that. Paul is giving God-centered encouragement 
In other words, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He is pointing out ways in which God is at work in them and present with them, which equips the Corinthians to be encouraged but not boastful. Do you see this? It's really important. We live in an age of flattery and false praise and puffing up, and unfortunately this regularly affects the church of Jesus Christ, especially, I think, this over-the-top praise stuff. I see all of these comments in Christian circles, like, you know, this is the best young Christian writer today, or this is the best preacher, or whatever. It's not good for their souls to give this kind of feedback. And when we give it, it tends to create an unhealthy, even idolatrous fascination with the people to whom we're ascribing the praise. The church is called to something very different, very countercultural, and it would be wise for us to take inventory concerning how it is that we go about celebrating and encouraging fellow believers. But there's even more that we should be thankful for. Something that this aside should bring to the front of our minds. And that brings us to our second exhortation. Let's give thanks for the gifts that God gives us. So let's give thanks for the people that God puts around us. And now, secondly, let's give thanks for the gifts that God gives us. Where do our spiritual gifts come from? Answer, God. And we, of course, already made this point about other people. So now we're just applying that same theme to ourselves, to our own hearts. And God enriches us, verse 5, with these gifts for our own benefit and the benefit of the body of Christ, the church, so that, verses 7 through 9, you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, God gives us spiritual gifts so that we might persevere as his people and live faithful, fruitful lives until Christ returns. These gifts are actually, and this should encourage you, even a, a sign of God's faithfulness, that he has not only called us into the fellowship of his Son, that's the, the union with Christ that we discussed a bit last week, but he will continue to develop us spiritually. These gifts are a sign of that. And he will keep us in this fellowship that he has called us into until Christ returns and then ultimately present his people as completely blameless before the Father. This is actually, I, you probably see this, you see how this is another reason to reevaluate how we see fellow believers. Yes, they have problems, and sometimes they will wrong you, and they will get mixed up theologically, and all of that. We can expect that in the body of Christ. But God is at work in them by His grace, and Jesus will eventually present not just us, but them also, blameless before the Father. You believe that. More importantly, though, for the point that we're making now, since God 
gives us these gifts. And these gifts are in many ways compensatory in light of our personal inadequacies. Our posture toward these gifts should be a posture of thanksgiving and humility. A posture that was tragically not pervasive at Corinth. This was a community of believers dealing with some serious spiritual pride, which was clearly one of the reasons for their divisions and their conflicts. There were many examples of this in Corinth, one of which comes through in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, concerning the very spiritual gifts that Paul thanks God for in this passage. Corinthian believers were getting all big-headed about their particular gifts, so Paul says things, and this is like, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Paul says things to them like, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So Corinthians, why the pridefulness? Your gifts are from God, the same God who gives other believers their gifts. Bragging about spiritual gifts, I was trying to think about this, bragging about spiritual, it's kind of like bragging to your, your middle, middle school friends that you can dunk a basketball. It's like, that's, that's genetics, dude. You don't have a lot to do with that. Plus, your buddies have their own gifts. You know, they, they have their math skills and all of that that might not seem cool in the moment, but there's far more value there than you realize, as you will find out. Pridefulness concerning the spiritual gifts that God gives us is a recipe all day long for discord in the body of Christ. It is a recipe for big egos. It is a recipe for causing hurt by celebrating certain gifts, usually public-facing gifts, and ignoring other gifts. It is a recipe for, at least in the modern West, very often elevating extroverts, I think, and actually marginalizing introverts. It's a recipe for saying that true or you know, spiritually mature Christians specifically have XYZ gifts as if they're some kind of Christian special forces. Thanksgiving undermines this sort of pridefulness. Thus, the beauty and the timeliness of Paul's reminder that all of our spiritual gifts are from the Lord and according to his wise providence, meaning that they are gifts to be thankful for and to serve other people with. A posture that will sow unity and peace within the body of Christ and bring us a whole lot of joy individually and corporately. You know, pridefulness is such a miserable existence because you always have to do things and you have to perform in a manner that upholds the foundation for your pride. You always have to assert yourself. You always have to platform yourself. You have to gain more and more social media followers. You have to subtly or sometimes not so subtly knock other people down a peg or two. Humility is an opportunity to avoid all of that by joyfully resting in God, the gracious source of your spiritual gifts and really everything that you have and then using what you have to serve others rather than serving or promoting yourself. Here's how I like to think about it. 
when we detect the presence of a spiritual gift in our lives, and you can look, there's, there's lists of these, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. You can look at those passages for examples, and we will get into this more as the series goes on. But when we detect the presence of spiritual gifts in our lives, here's how I think it should work. That detection should encourage us spiritually and that it's evidence of God's work in us and presence with us via the Holy Spirit. And that encouragement should then nourish us spiritually in such a way that being filled with this encouragement that comes from the triune God, we can now pour ourselves out for others, you see this, by means of the gifts that God has given us, in order to nourish the body of Christ. And you might say in response to this, Chipper, I don't have any spiritual gifts. If you're in Christ, yes, you do. It's one of the benefits of being buried and raised with Christ Jesus is you get spiritual gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit. And it's a discussion that we'll get into in more detail later in our first Corinthian series. And I would strongly recommend that you discuss your concerns about not having any spiritual gifts with fellow believers, that they might help you see some things that you're not seeing. I'm not exaggerating when I say that this discussion might be life-changing. At the very least, the most encouraging discussion you've had in a while. Go to someone that you trust and say, I don't have any spiritual gifts, and let them minister to you. And know that God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who died for our sins, that we might repent of our sin and put our hope in him and be forgiven and experience resurrection life, resurrection being a major theme that we will eventually get to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. God is sustaining his people, even now, even in seasons when it feels like things are kind of falling apart and maybe the church of Jesus Christ is on its last legs. It's not true. God is sustaining his people even now, which means that he's sustaining his church, broadly speaking, and he's sustaining us individually. And then I'll circle back to what I said earlier so we don't forget it. Who do we need to re-see? Who do we need to re-see? And since I also, I already talked about golf, I'll, I'll, I'll bookend our time with another golf thing, right? Why not? I was, last night I went to the first bit of um, the football game with, with my daughter, with my eight-year-old daughter, just the two of us, and um, <laughs> I'm trying to say this in the most loving way possible, but uh, at one point, you know how they, they celebrate, maybe you don't know, but they, they will often, like during timeouts and, and things, they will celebrate various people, usually athletic teams, for their accomplishments from the previous year, and then at some point, I noticed that there was this group of guys that were walking on the field. I was like, is this, this is where I'm trying to say, it's like, is this like the finance team? <laughs> Who are these guys? I was just sitting there, and then I noticed like, oh, okay. I actually recognized vaguely one of the guys, and of course, the PA announcer gets on. It's like, congratulations to the national champion golf team. I was like, oh, okay. It's the golf team. Um, and in that moment, I was like, yeah, because I was so excited when they won that national championship, and this guy helped me re-see. I was, I was being all dismissive, like, who are these guys? And then after I got that announcement, I was, like, standing and clapping, and I was telling, <laughs> I was telling my daughter, like, this is the golf team, and they want you know, all that. And <clears throat> but do you see how that 
had to happen outside of myself. I was looking at something. I couldn't see them who, for who they really were. Um, and then I got outside help. And that's what we need if we're going to see people rightly. If we're going to need God to change us, the Holy Spirit to work in us, so that we might actually see what God has put in front of us. Amen.